adoptees, friends and families of adoptees, people interested in the general subject of adoption and adoptees, and the world that we currently occupy, at least in this reality. I don't know. It seems like reality is uh, flexible these days. Who knows? Who knows? Listen, I uh, want to say, first of all, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you guys had a good holiday season, whatever it is that you celebrate, if you celebrate at all. Uh, I, you know, celebrate Christmas in the American tradition of Christmas, I guess. Uh, You know, didn't do too much. Went to uh, Minnesota to see uh, some in-laws and hang out out there, see some of my wife's friends in Minnesota. That's where she's from. Uh, before heading back to New York and just kind of hanging out out there. Did a lot of video game playing and then uh, saw Star Wars Rogue One three times. That was that was a good time. All three times. I don't know if you guys are into Star Wars. I think it ranks among some of my uh, one of my favorite Star Wars movies, in my opinion. It's in the in the, I, I would say it's probably in the uh, in the top three in the top three for me of the Star Wars pantheon to include the uh, newer uh, old movies. And that means, you know, episodes one, two, and three for any of you guys who uh, know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then that's okay, too. Uh, you know, 2016, uh, went out with a, uh, a sad, another sad bang. Had to take away from us Carrie Fisher, who uh, many of you know as Princess Leia or General Organa in the Star Wars series right before the, the year closed. And, and her mother, Debbie Reynolds. So uh, rest in peace, you two. And uh, then New Year's, yeah, New Year's was fun. Oh, what else? I saw La La Land. That's good. I, I highly recommend that if you're a lover of uh, film and art and old Hollywood musicals. Uh, although I have had friends uh, who said they're not into it and they don't really understand what the buzz is about. And I don't understand that. It's crazy to me. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand. Well, anyways, yeah, New Year's came and went. It was, uh, it was good. Rang in the New Year's. Uh, had a little party over here at the uh, house up in Rockland County. Uh, where we uh, burned some pieces of paper into my fire pit that said uh, what we hated about 2016 and what we wanted to let go. Not that I think 2017 is going to be a, a much better year, uh, but we'll see. I, I have an open mind, and uh, hopefully it'll be a better year. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, hopefully for you it will not be as as painful as 2016 was for me. That's what I hope. But hey, hey, who knows? Anyways, listen, today I have a great episode for you. My guest today is Jonathan Lebrecht. He is back. Jonathan Labreca is from episode 32. So if you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that first uh, to get kind of the first part of Jonathan's story before delving into this episode. In this episode specifically, we're just going to be talking about his second trip back to Korea over the Aika gathering, his reunion with his biological family, and uh, how that went, what the kind of the uh, ins and outs of his relationship with them has been since, how it's affected him how it's affected his uh, adoptive family as well. And uh, you'll just have to listen to take a listen. You know what I mean? You'll have to listen to take a listen. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. It's the new year though. So uh, happy new year. Happy new year. And uh, enjoy this episode uh, with Jonathan Lebrecht again. Enjoy. Yeah, so you said uh, you're looking for a new job? 
Yeah, I got a new job um, in Washington. It's a grants coordinator with the Office of Food for Peace. So they're the office that's whose mandate is to basically give um, food or food vouchers to refugees, internally displaced people, and people who are suffering from humanitarian disasters. So it's definitely a step in the right direction for me. So I was pretty. It was a pretty nice Christmas present to have in hand yeah. when I was coming home. So and this is coming out of USAID that your last still. Job? Yep, still. Yeah, so it will. Is this a part trained. of USAID? Yes, it is. It's a. Oh, okay. It's actually uh, the office itself predates USAID, so that's oh. a very, very interesting sort of thing because, you know, foreign assistance goes back, you know, much, much longer than USAID, and this sure. was part of it. So, it's you know, my first day is next Tuesday, after MLK Day. So, okay, I've just been insanely busy over the past couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> trying to wrap everything up. Up that I thought I had like months to do into like uh, just two weeks. So it's a pretty intense time around the office, but it's good to know that, you know, uh, this coming Friday, I will just walk out of the office and whatever, you know, <laughs> is there any, uh, anxiety and everything about the incoming administration and uh, the status of USAID and funding and all that? Or, or what's the story over there? What's the feeling? Um, interestingly enough, like, you know, my move to FFP is pretty good given the administration change. Like, um, you know, with HIV money in general, and especially because I was working with, you know, more or less like gay populations around the world, that was vulnerable. You know, uh-huh. um, we are we are talking about um, how to change our terms from like, you know, to most at risk populations. So people who don't have a uh-huh. big um, health background don't know what we're actually talking about. <laughs> so there are there are ways to hide what we're doing. But, Some uh, wordsmithing and trickery. <laughs> more or less, yeah. Like we did it under the Bush administration and, you know, hopefully the people who Trump uh, appoints are even dumber. So, you know, we can move around them. <laughs> Is that is that what you're betting on? Did you just like dig up and dust off all those old documents and you're like, here we here's the plan. This is it. Yeah. People who were around back then, they know what to do and they'll be guiding the process. But, you know, Food for Peace, it's kind of very, very nonpartisan in the sense like, you know, everybody wants to give food to like refugees and starving people abroad. Like it's not a Republican versus Democrat issue. Like everybody likes doing it. So that's an office that's expanding right now. That's why it was brought on. And there's no indication really that, you know, Trump as conservative as he is and, you know, his secretary of state, you know, they wouldn't cut food for peace. So I'm, I'm in a good position. All right. Well, good luck over there, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Welcome back to the show. And we're here to, today uh, to talk to you about your trip to Korea and your reunion with your biological family. So let's let's talk about your trip to Korea first. How, sure. How did that go? It was interesting. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, it was basically my first big international trip, you know, just traveling for fun after I got my job. So it was, you know, I wasn't traveling for work. You know, when I got off the plane, I'm like, oh, good. I don't have to, like, go into the office tomorrow. I can, like, <laughs> take a nap. And, you know, I, I actually took a nap every single day nice. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was very, very intense. It was very, very compressed. Um, there was a lot to do, a lot to, you know, I was meeting up with friends from all over the place that I hadn't seen in quite some time, mainly from Boston. So, um, you know, going back for the second time, because that was something that was important to me. Like, I feel like I would have been overwhelmed if I had been back in Korea for the first time at ICA. Like, that was just, a, yeah. you know, going just going back to ICA was, you know, a lot. That's of, a lot. You know, 
a, you know, a really, really big sort of emotional experience. And uh-huh. then being back in Korea as well, you know, it was emotional, but it wasn't like the first time I had been to Seoul or anything like that. So right, I, right. you know, I, you know, remembered where I was going in Seoul and I remembered like, you know, specific places that I had been to before. I could speak a lot more Korean, which is also very, very useful. And, you know, that part was a bit more approachable. So I had, you know, more emotional energy to expend upon, you know, everything else that I did in uh, Korea. Yeah. It's funny because I got an email uh, from another guest and a friend of the show, Sebom Suhu. I don't know if you know her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But she had emailed me because we were going back and forth about uh, that movie Arrival. Did you get a chance to watch that? No, I haven't watched Arrival. Great movie. Probably on my top 10 this year. Oh, okay. Uh, it's about an, an alien invasion, but it's a different kind of alien invasion movie. It's not like a shoot 'em up movie. What they do is the <laughs> army hires Amy Adams, who plays this uh, collegiate PhD interpreter of oh, all kinds of different languages, yeah, yeah. to kind of try to communicate <laughs> with the aliens. Okay. So one of the things she says in the movie is that when you start to learn a different language and you dream in that language and like you're immersed in that language, you your brain chemistry and the way your brain maps things out actually changes. Mm. So you start no. to be like immersed in the culture just through the language. Mm-hmm. Did you feel no. that way going back to Korea with Korean? You know, there have been a couple of times where I've dreamt in gibberish Korean. Like I was trying to speak Korean in my dreams, but it obviously wasn't coming out or whatever. But, mm. um, you know, I've read studies where um, adoptees have the similar parts of their brain stimulated, you know, listening and speaking in Korean as like fully bicultural, you know, um, uh, fluent uh, Korean Americans do. So that part of the, you know, there is definitely part of that that's inherent in our, you know, biochemistry or whatever, which is very, very cool. You know, like, you know, Korean's a very, very difficult language to learn, as I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) realize. Um, But it's nice to finally just be, you know, uh, breaking off a chunk of it at a time. You know, it's a lifelong goal of mine which means, you know, I don't have any sort of deadline to do this by. So it will get done. I'll be at least semi-fluent in Korean. I already feel like much, much more sort of equipped and, you know, knowledgeable about it. You know, I'm in beginner three, and I'll probably probably repeat that this coming semester just to, you know, really, really brush up on everything before I move on to intermediate. But, like, I was watching a Korean movie over the break, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I can understand things. Which which one are you checking out? It's the beauty inside. Um, it actually was a really pretty good movie or whatever. It's about this guy who wakes up in a different body every single day and he somehow oh, gets a girl to Yeah, like I heard him. about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Korean movies I like a lot more than Korean dramas. Like, you know, I've tried to watch Korean yeah. dramas. It, it, they're worse than general hospital. They're terrible. Like, they're they're, they're <laughs> really bad. But, yeah. but for whatever reason, Korean movies are just on the other end of that spectrum. Like, there are some that are just absolutely yeah. phenomenally this like, year well i think produced. there's been some good ones too uh the handmaiden is supposed to be awesome haven't gotten yeah. a chance to watch that and i just rented train to busan which is a zombie flick but that's supposed oh, to be okay. pretty awesome too yeah like netflix has a pretty decent uh selection so i've just been moving through that and found some pretty good movies as well so nice yeah i, I tried to watch uh, descendants of the sun which was a suggestion from another friend and the first episode i was like totally on board i was like oh this looks like an action show this is gonna be great and then like of course in the next episode or the maybe in the late, late parts of the first episode 
he's like falling in love with this doctor and then it becomes <laughs> this romance drama thing and i was like oh god this is this yeah. is terrible this is like every other korean drama I yeah no it was nice to like act as like more of a cultural broker for some of my other friends who didn't speak Korean uh, yeah. as well as i did so i was able to like go into shops and stores and restaurants and actually speak you know like very very simple korean with Help the, you know yeah, and that was sort of like very, very empowering for me. So yeah, it was a much, much more, you know, in that sort of regard, it was a much, much more approachable and comfortable experience as well. Because the first time I went to Korea, I I really could barely read Hangul. I didn't really know anything mm-hmm. uh, in Korean. But now, you know, I, it's just getting better and better and better. So yeah. I really, you know, had a lot of fun in Korea. Did you have anybody of... like that for you when your first trip to Korea? Like somebody that just knew Korean a little bit better and could help you get around? Yes. Um, there were teaching assistants there, um, and one of them in particular, she really wanted to hang out with us. And every time we went out, she went out and she was, you know, she's Korean. So she was fully, fully fluent, both yeah. in English and Korean. So she was really able to, like, just, you know, help us navigate the city much, much better than we otherwise could have. Mm. So it's always good to hear when people who get help or can provide that for somebody else. I can't imagine. I've heard stories of people going to Korea without knowing any Korean. I just bought mm. a plane ticket and went over there. And I was like, well, how do you do that? I mean, there's English signs, but I don't find them very helpful because it's like Romanized, yeah. Anglicized <laughs> versions of Korean. I'm like, this is harder to read than the Korean. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it is traveling to any country, you know, that where English isn't the first language. It's like, what yeah. do you do? And oftentimes, you know, other places I've traveled, they don't have signs anywhere yeah. and you don't have Internet and you're just you're just walking around <laughs> you're and you're just like, screwed. hopefully, you know, somebody doesn't mug me or whatever. And, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. It's funny because it reminds me of the story uh, A.J. Bryant was telling me when he went to India for the first time. And he just, like, booked a ticket there one way, like, on a whim, kind of. (laughs) Like, he had a job offer, I guess, but he got there and he was like, you know, I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to. I don't have a phone on me. I don't know where to stay. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's Mm -hmm. insanity. I don't know how people do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult, but I really did enjoy, you know, everything about, like, uh, um... Like, I really liked the social activities, um, and I really, really enjoyed the uh, research day. That was really, really incredible. You know, so just what did seeing that entail? Um, it involved a lot of, you know, just people presenting their research and their studies. Like, you know, interestingly enough, there are a lot of, you know, ACADs who are, you know, very, very prominent and well-respected sort of researchers doing, you know, top-notch sort of stuff all around, yeah. all around the world. And it was very, very interesting because, you know, Taking a step back, it was just, you know, it was us trying to understand ourselves and our story. And that's, you know, was very, very useful and empowering to see just because oftentimes, you know, you're the only one in the room who has any sort of vested interest in this whatsoever. And it's, you know, your story or whatever. Right. It's just meaningful to you. Whereas when you're in a room with everybody else like that, it's sort of our story and sort of collectivizing it and universalizing it was really, really comforting to me in many, many different ways. So I really did enjoy sort of that experience and like just being able to put the thinking cap on mm-hmm. for a day and really understanding, you know, what's going on around the world and what the trajectory and what the history is behind everything in this movement. So I really enjoyed that. Awesome. Were there any standout researchers that you want to give a shout out to for their amazing presentations at ICA? Um, oh, well, so here's the other thing. It was the idea that I kind of had was, um, 
you know, almost all the studies were um, psychiatry, psych- psychiatry and psychological studies, you know, oh. with um, sort of, you know, populations of around 50 to 60 people on self-reported sort of um, mental health outcomes mm-hmm. or whatever. And what I'm th- what I've sort of sort of thought based on my own interest and my sort of experience was, you know, sort of making a public health sort of study on it, like epidemiology, epidemiologically, like what does this, you know, what does adoption do to people? Mm. And I find that a really, really interesting question because, you know, you have psychological, when you ask a psychological, when you do a psychological study, you're going to get a psychological answer. Well, you yeah. know, oftentimes the, you know, answer is, is like, well, of course, adoption isn't super, super, you know, inconvenient social and mental health stressor upon people. And, you know, there are, you know, detrimental out. Um, mental health outcomes based on that sort of, you know, way you frame it or whatever. You know, what I always have found is important. Well, what I've always found is important and something I'd really like to explore if I had the time is to sort of do, you know, an updated sort of epidemiological study that has like a population of 500 or something like that. And you ask, you know, you ask basically a life outcome um, and health outcome sort of questions it's like well does it do adoptees make more money than non-adoptees like what you do you know thinking about it is you have like a you know it would have to be a retrospective cohort study and you'd have to have you know a cohort of kids in the orphanage some of whom were adopted and others who weren't adopted and then you sort of track their life outcomes you know you'd have to do um sort of you know look at their medical records look at their health record um look at their life outcomes school records or things like that and then you can compare on a much more sort of um data-driven sort of basis i feel like Mm. and i feel like that would produce a lot of really really useful information for the korean adoptee community and really equip us equip ourselves you know with the data and information that we need to make, you know, better um, decisions with. I found that, you know, I I feel like, you know, that would collectivize a lot of the psychiatry and psychological studies going around and would be very, very useful to have for our community. Could be interesting. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. See, when are you going to start that? (laughs) Uh, When I have um, $2 million in (laughs) two years to do it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's not impossible, but it's like, you know, it's just a, it's just something I've always seen as like something I'd really, really want to do. Yeah. So uh, what, what about the rest of the trip to uh, Korea? How was, how was all that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The highlight was me uh, meeting my birth family. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, everybody I had spoken to, you know, like adoptees, they're, you know, telling me about their birth stories. They're like, no, prepare for a very emotional Uh experience. You know, like your family is going to come in there. They're going to be emotional. They're going to be very, very physical with you very, very quickly, like running (laughs) up to you. They're going to be crying. They're going to be apologizing. Uh They're going to physically embrace you very, very quickly. And, you know, be prepared for that. You know, and that's kind of like the expectation I had. Right. Um, just based on like everybody I had spoken to uh-huh. and when it came down to my meeting, um, it was more or less the exact opposite. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> a little bit more, uh, reserved, incredibly reserved. Like they, my mother and father, my birth mother and father, they walked into the room and we just literally stared at each other for like 10 seconds, you know, oh, I yeah. watched the video again and again and I count and it's oh, you pretty close. It? It's pretty close to 10 seconds. And I'm like, what it it was awkward you know like more i think that was the main sort of emotion well, what was going. your initial reaction when you first saw him um you know it was a physical resemblance it was like you know it's like wow i really really look like 
my birth mother. It's like, you know, like uh-huh. it was just like an immediate sort of like ping, you know, it's just like, you know, I don't really feel a need to do a DNA test just because, you know, it, it looks very, very real to me. And I, I kind of knew that immediately. So um, that was something that was going through me. And the other thing was, um, what should I do? You know, like it was yeah. just a question of like, you know, what should I physically do or say? Or it was confu- It was confusing. Um, it was very, very um, awkward. And it was just, um, it was very just sort of like vague and opaque in the sense like I didn't know, you know, how to, what the next step was like we've seen each other now what do we do and so, <laughs> you didn't think about that part huh no I, I you know because i was kind of expecting to take more of a passive sort of role in this process like you know i was expecting my social worker or at least my birth family to really direct it to really you know understand like what was going to happen and make uh-huh. things happen in sort of like the sequential order that they that they occur in but it was just kind of like nobody really knew what to do my birth family didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to do so you know after the 10 seconds we just kind of sat down and started speaking so um do you have an interpreter or uh, what was the story with that yeah my uh social worker acted as a as an interpreter and so that was very you know incredibly useful because I was able to understand you know bits and pieces of what she was speaking but what my birth mother and father were saying, just because they have, you know, a sort of like more, they were mumbling, basically, uh, at least as I interpreted it. And I couldn't understand a single word that they were saying. Okay. So it was very, very useful to have the interpreter there. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, like probably the best part of it was, um, you know, my birth father, um, he's was kind of, he's kind of like the breadwinner of the family. So he's kind of been working jo- odd jobs off and on, you know, for the majority of his life. And my birth mother has just kind of been staying at home. And so it was a very, very difficult, well, it was a difficult sort of decision for them to relinquish me for adoption. Um, and it wasn't done, you know, in full consultation with everybody that it should have, you know, done, uh, been taken place with. So just the story that I was given you know, there were several details that just were completely opposite, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, black and white opposite as to like, what I've always been told, you know, growing up. So like, like, I was, what were you told versus what you heard? I was always told that it's very possible that my birth father is deceased because he's significantly older than my birth mother. That oh. wasn't true. They're very similar ages. <laughs> and I was always told that the reason I was given for up for adoption is because my father and mother are no longer together, which also wasn't true. Right. They're they're together. They've always been together. They've been married for 40, 30 or 40 years. I have a full, full blood brother who I didn't know about either. Uh And these were things that I just, you know, weren't in my story that were, you know, complete opposite. So, you know, I always, I always thought that my story was very similar to the vast majority of other adoptees. It's like no single motherhood, you know, that's why I, you know, was relinquished. And there is a, you know, there is a, um, a component of that in my relinquishment story. Like my father was in Libya at the time, you know, just being a general laborer. Um, and you know, then my mother was back in Korea and she had me and she had a lot of pressure from her mother and her family to relinquish me for adoption. You know, the general narrative was, no, he's not going to come back. And if he does, he's not going to come back for you. Therefore, you know, adoption is a very, very attractive. Why? Why? What was the, (laughs) What you know, was the impetus uh, for that? 
I think the impetus was, you know, they didn't want to rate. They thought that she was going to be a single mother, and they didn't want that to take place in the, you know, the family network. But they didn't trust uh, their son-in-law to to no, come back from Libya. No, mm-mm. no, and so um, he, my birth father, did end up coming back. He found out that I had been relinquished for adoption, with basically without his consent. Yeah, he wasn't consulted about this. No, and that made him really, really angry. And so, you know, there's been a lot of family turmoil um, Mm -hmm. between my birth father and his mother and the mother-in-law. I bet, yeah. But you know, what I hope is that now that they've, you know, we've reunited, um, that hopefully some of those bridges will begin to be mended. Like, that's my hope at least, you know, like they can see, you know, what I've done because that's by far like the best part of the reunion. Like my birth father, he, you could see that he really had a lot of pressure and a lot of guilt and burden on him, you know, that it was carrying into this meeting. Um, like he asked me three times, like, you're sure that you've had a good life in America. Like, tell me more about your life in America. And I've mm. told him everything that I've been doing for the past, you know, 27 years. Right. And each time, each time, each time you could see like him physically, like just gasp and like take a breath. You know, it's like there was like a physical sense of relief and, you know, yeah. um, peace that came over him. And it, it felt really, 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 really good and fulfilling and calming from my perspective, mm-hmm. to have that happen for him. Like, because I don't, you know, I don't want my existence to really, you know, you know, have a lot of, you know, stress on other people or make sure. other people's life, you know, crappy or whatever. Like, I want to, you know, show them that. But you didn't really of, have any control over that either. So it's not yeah, something that, I feel like you should be burdened with. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, the overall thing is it's like, you know, um, I don't want, you know, anything bad to happen due to, well, I, I would say I don't want, I want the bridges to start being mended, you know, like uh-huh. I regret that my adoption resulted in such sort of turmoil in my immediate sort of birth family. I mean, none of which I have control over, but I, I wouldn't say I feel responsible for it, but I would definitely feel like, um, I think I definitely feel like it's part of the story and I feel like I have a stake in trying to make it better now because now I am part of the story. And so I yeah. want to, you know, do my, um, pardon you know reaching out to you know um the larger family network meeting them if possible and you know just explaining you know mm-hmm. how appreciative i am of you know everything that ended up happening in my life so i really liked that all that part of it the flip side of that was <laughs> the worst part of the family meet the reunion was um at, towards the very end um my birth father just you know basically took out a huge wad of cash from his um, wallet oh, um, yeah. and pushed it upon me. And I'm uh-huh. like, you know, I didn't know how much cash it was at the, at the start. You know, I thought he was just giving me literally everything he had at the time, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and I, you know, I, you know, immediately like, I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to do this for me. And I, you know, turned to my social worker. I'm like, well, you're my, you know, cultural broker here, you know, like, do I take this money or whatever? And she's like, no, 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 no. You need to take this money. This is the first gift they've given to you in 27 years. You must absolutely take it. So I'm like, okay, you know, like that's because, you know, like my birth family, you know, they're not, you know, incredibly, you know, affluent, you know, people. So this, you know, money, means a lot more to them than it does to me. And I was like telling, you know, my other friends about it. And I'm like, you know, it made me kind of feel kind of like, Ugh, you know, I'd rather just have it be a physical thing, like a photo or something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. It has emotional weight <clears throat> versus like monetary weight or whatever. Uh-huh. 
And, you know, the way that they sort of framed it, which was incredibly helpful to me, was um, the way that my birth family is thinking about it is they think that they should give you a lot more than this money because they feel like, you know, you've been cheated out of a lifetime of gifts and presents and, you know. And just life with them. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, money is just a small token of what they actually think that they owe you. Right, right. And I'm like, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, nobody owes anybody anything in this particular context. You know, we're approaching, I wouldn't say we're approaching it from, you know, where we are and there's no exchange mm. other than real information, other than information is what I'm looking for at this point in my sort of relationship with them. So, you know. I wasn't able to get as much information from them as I really wanted. You know, like we went to lunch afterwards um, and they weren't very verbal, you know, like they weren't, Mm. you know, after they, you know, sort of like established that I had had a good life and, you know, I was well off and, you know, doing very, very well. Like I was trying to get a sense of like who they are as people, you know, just try to understand them and get to know them. And they seemed very, very sort of, you know, reserved and recluse about it. And, you know, like they were guarding something. And, you know, I can understand that because there might be incredible shame, you know, sure. from them and their story and, you know, where they are in their life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but it's like, you know, I'm not, you know, I wish that they would understand that I'm not judging them. You know, like I literally am not judging them. It is like mm-hmm. purely inquisitive and purely like I just want to know them as people because I feel right. like that that is an integral sort of, you know, piece of like trying to build something between us you know like i don't know what is going to be built between us you know in the in the future but you know everybody said now that this can of worms is open like this is something you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life and Mm -hmm. you know that's you know you know that's part of the responsibility i sort of assumed or you know assumed when i started this search like i knew that if if i found something you know that i couldn't stop looking you know like you know you don't you know meet your birth family and just like you know, never, well, in my particular case, I felt like it was wrong to do that, you know, because these are people who are a part of me and my life story in a very, very sort of fundamental way. And now that we've met, now that we know we exist, it's, you know, we, I need, feel like I need to make something of it. And, you know, it's been challenging over the past six months. We've only exchanged a couple of emails and a couple of letters. Uh-huh. And I do wish that there was more, you know, information sort of you know um exchange well yeah you know what thinking about it like maybe not information i wish that there you know we could become a little bit closer and a little more cordial and less guarded mm. in a sense like you know i'm trying to approach them i'm trying to you know tell them about myself and my and about my life you know like i want them to know who i am you know and uh i want to know who they are because you know that's what you know families do right you know like they know who you know members of the family unit are and i mean i've never i've always said i'm not trying to create a second family but it is a family unit in some sort of sense of the word that i have mm. so you know it's just a very you know i find it a very natural sort of second step for me to try and you know communicate with them and try and open up dialogue and open up sort of you know and understand them that's you know where i felt very very frustrated over the past six months like um mm. you know i got a a letter from my birth father, you know, three months ago. And, you know, it was very apologetic. Um, right. he, he was hoping that I you know, was doing very, very well back in Korea, you know, just wondering everything about that. But, you know, 
I understand that he feels regret and everything like that. Like I told him, you know, like you don't have anything to be sorry about. Like I, I love my life. You know, I love the fact, you know, everything about my life, you know, like thank you very, very much for, you know, doing everything that you did for me. You know, like, you know, there are no regrets from my end. You don't need to apologize for anything. Um, what I, but what I want now is this like, you know, to know you, know you better. And like, I was mm-hmm. trying to ask him sort of like small probing questions at lunch after our meeting. And he was very, very nonverbal and very, mm-hmm. very just, you know, non-communicative about the whole sort of situation. I'm like, well, do you watch TV? What kind of TV do you watch? Do you like watching sports or anything like that? And it was very, very simple. Like, no, 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 you know, and like, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not trying to like be rude. I didn't feel like I was being rude. I felt like, you know, I just want to know you. And it's like that sort of sense of knowingness, you know, now that I have a general sort of framework, I want to start filling this in because it is this big empty box that I'm picturing, you know, and now that I have sort of, you know, a means to do so, I really want to just start learning more and more and more and you know um i mean i suppose the vision is is like you know i'd like to you know be you know uh cordially communicating with them like once a month or so and you know exchanging cacao talks or you know emails and things like that just yeah. so you know we all it's 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 a check you know? is there it's a like, is there a little bit of a language barrier between uh, the two of you yes yeah like um my nobody in my uh, immediate birth family speaks any any english whatsoever not even your brother no my full brother he's fully handicapped actually so he's been um in a special school since he was in kindergarten and that's why i wasn't able Uh, to uh meet him when the uh uh you know when the reunion took place and so you know it's sort of you know i initially framed this as a as pity you know like i felt sorry for them over the fact that they you know their life you know, from my perspective, doesn't seem like a very easy life. Mm-hmm. You know, like my birth father's never had a steady job. He's been working as janitors and cleaners and just general laborers most mm-hmm. of his life. My birth mother's never had a job. And then they have a full, fully special needs sort of son or whatever. And they're not bringing in a lot of, you know, money and, you know, income right. into the household. And so it must be incredibly stressful to them. And I felt, you know, I, I immediately felt sorry for that. You know, I'm like, oh my God, like, I feel really, really bad over this. It's like something I feel like, you know, maybe I should have been there to contribute towards, or Mm -hmm. maybe on the flip side of that, maybe it was something that I escaped or whatever. And both of those sort of conclusions were very, very messy for me to emotionally deal with. And, you know, people started telling me, it's like, well, you're not necessarily feeling pity for them because you don't know all the details. What you're feeling is just general empathy and the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, you you know, uh, feel a stake in, you know, their life now. And that made me feel a little bit better. It made me feel like, okay, I'm not, you know, taking a huge guilt trip or whatever. I am sort of, you know, approaching this from a more methodological um, sort of approach and not really, you know, trying to play a huge victim in this particular context. Yeah, yeah. And that made me, it made me feel a little bit more constructive in that sort of regard. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say I want to, I wouldn't say I feel an obligation to help them financially, Uh um, but I want to be there for them, you know, like, especially, you know, depending on how my career takes off and, you know, how I do for myself later on in my life. That's why these monthly emails are important because, you know, I want to 
be there if something goes wrong or whatever mm-hmm. because they don't have you know like my birth father and mother they're estranged largely estranged from their larger family networks mm-hmm. basically due to my adoption and so you know i want to be able to be there for them and you know help them in some sort of capacity you know even if it's like you know a hundred bucks here or there i just want to make sure that you know they understand that i'm there for them and mm-hmm. you know that's important for me because um you know the overall sort of story behind this you know reunion was we found each other which i found very very fulfilling and sort of empowering on both sort of ends. Mm. uplifting i think is the better word it's like you know i've heard lots of stories where you know the adoption agency finds a birth family but you know the birth mother doesn't want to you know communicate right. with the children or whatever yeah. like it's you know it's a hidden adoption or something like that and you know i feel very very lucky you know firstly because I was able to find something, you know, which I realized not a lot of people are. But also, you know, I found I felt incredibly blessed and lucky in the fact that it was a mutual sort of process. Like they yeah. were looking for me since 2011 and mm-hmm. I've been looking for them for a year as well. So, you know, it felt much, much more collaborative. And in that sense, you know, we were we were approaching this from the same sort of general perspective. We wanted to find each other, which I found very, very useful and very, very uplifting. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. And uh, so it sounds like you're having a little bit of trouble with the constant communication back and forth and trying to – You're. Get, it sounds like you're giving a lot, but they're not giving – reciprocating as much. <laughs> yeah, but, you yeah. Know, I would say if you want to keep that relationship, just uh, keep trying, keep doing cacao and uh, sending emails. And I've heard I, – I haven't tried it yet, but I heard that Google Translate service has gotten a lot better. So hopefully that will <laughs> uh, help yeah, you out like, a little bit. You know, like what one of my best friends said was, you you know, no matter what happens, no matter what heartbreaks or failures you have in your life, you you can never ever like you you can never ever close off your heart. And you know, um, this is like you know a friend that I really really you know respect. Like every single word of his means a lot to me. And so when I was sort of like applying it to this sort of context, it's like there might be a million different reasons as to why they're not very communicative and why they're not sort of, you know, um, saying as much as I want them to. Mm -hmm. And that's on me, you know, like that's my desire and it shouldn't be sort of, you know, extra, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, put on them. It's something for me to deal with. If I want this, then it's my desire, but they might want something else. And that's Mm -hmm. fine because, you know, that's part of, you know, what this process is it's trying to negotiate what is our relationship it can't be all of what i want because there are other people in it now and so you know no matter what sort of you know hardship or sort of barriers i'm going to run into like you know i'm really going to take his advice to heart it's like no this is something i'm going to continue for the rest of my life really so you know i'm not going anywhere so but it's you know it only stops when i stop you know like that's what i really really have begun to understand about it um you know i really i sent a care package over christmas you know just with american food you know i Mm -hmm. don't you know i tried to write as much as i could in korean um using google translate and using just things that i knew um from my korean classes and hopefully you know hopefully it's a good gesture because um you know there's some really you know uh yummy things in there for them and it just shows hopefully it shows them that uh you know this means something to me and, you know, I'm not going to judge them and I'm not going to really, you know, uh, 
really I don't want it to be negative or really I don't want to be apathetic towards this you know relationship I want to be I want to be invested in it so you know it's a lot of emotional weight and it's taken me an incredibly long time to really process just because like there was a lot of disappointment there was a lot of um, confusion and just you know there were things that I just needed to clarify and make explicit for myself and it was like oh this is you know I, I said to myself I'm going to give myself six months to really work through this you know no sort of you know you know pressure on me until then and like I want to really make sure that I have enough time to you know put everything back into order because it, you know it's incredibly sort of you know um disruptive uh yeah. sort of thing to do because now you know like at work it was like oh I told people I was in Korea and then like the next you know um question I always got was well were you seeing family there because mo- most people assume I'm Korean American right. and I'm like ooh well kind of actually sort of, and, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and so I had to like go through my entire story like you know dozens uh, of times at work and that was something I really didn't have to you know deal with beforehand and even if I had gone to Korea and not seen family then the answer would have been no so because the answer is just yes it's just a it, you know it's a very very simple it's a very simple yes but there are a bajillion different sure. sort of you know sub layers behind that yes so yeah. it's just trying to <laughs> figure them all out and unpack them. And I think I'm, I think I'm getting there. You know, I feel much, much more sort of, you know, equipped, um, uh, in the past six, in the past couple of months to really approach it from a, from a positive and from a constructive sort of, uh, perspective. And I feel like at least from my sort of end, it's moving in the, it's moving in the right direction for me. So, you know, whenever I can go back to Korea next, um, they said they really want to see me. And I had a friend who helped me actually, you know, who came with me actually um, for my reunion. Um, and she said, like, the fact that um, they want, they said that they want to see me again is very, very positive. Yeah, it's a good so, sign. Yeah. So they wouldn't have said it if they just wanted to see you one time and, uh, you know, uh, yeah. just be done with it. So I really feel uh, happy about that. That's good, man. Uh, before I let you go, is there uh, any advice that you would like to give to any adoptees out there who are thinking about searching or searching right now? Oh, sure. Um, there's no right or wrong reason for it, but um, what I would say is definitely understand that you know a birth reunion isn't you know the be all end all. Like there was an article I was reading a couple of weeks ago saying like, well. You know, you, you have these birth reunions happen on TV and it's this emotional sort of climax. A birth reunion is never a climax or whatever. It's just a starting point. You, know, you don't realize that the climax is actually just the beginning of this big book that you have to write together. And that's sort of everything that you have to negotiate. And I mean, a lot of, you know, other adoptees I met in Korea had very had different opinions about adoption basically like you know they were negative or positive about it and seeing that sort of split in adoption in the adoptee community you know what i regret is that there is a split in the adoptee community like the fact that there are people who hate adoption there are people who like adoption like and they're at each other's throats sometimes on online forums and everything like that like that like what i say is like you know what i would say is i just regret that this exists in our community because i feel like you know whenever you divide a community like ours in half we're going to be that much weaker or whatever so you know your individual sort of you know birth family search is a very very you know 
um, intimate sort of decision for you. And there's never, ever a right or never, ever a wrong reason. There are only just, you know, reasons to do it. And you don't necessarily need to attach a value to them. And I would always, you know, what I would say is like it, um, what I would say is like, don't do it to fulfill, to put a part of your life back into place because that's probably not going to happen or whatever. Like, you know, if you're, if you think that, you know, your birth family, your birth search is going to solve something for you, I, you know, I really question that in the sense like you're kind of setting yourself up to be disappointed. And that's something I would regret somebody going into a search uh, in order to do because, you know, there's so many barriers and so many, so there's so many boundaries towards making, you know, a cathartic process and a cathartic sort of relationship really possible in the sense like, you know, don't put, you know, don't put, um, don't put all your hope in this uh, because it's not that it's not a hopeful process. It's that, you know, just approach it very realistically. And if you're realistic about it, then you're never, ever going to be disappointed in it. Uh, that's what I would say. So. All right. I think that's sound advice for uh, mm-hmm. for anybody out there. I appreciate you coming back on the show and uh, sharing the rest of your story. Uh, hopefully everything goes well with your relationship with your biological family. And uh, how, how's your adoptive family doing with it before before you go? <laughs> um, so it was crazy. Like I told my mom, uh, you know, she was the second person I told, actually. I told my best friend out in Seattle first just because I tried to call my mom and she didn't pick up. Um <laughs> But, um, you know, when I told her, she started immediately crying. And I'm like, that made me emotional, like when I heard her crying mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but they've been pretty good about it. Like you can tell my mom is very guarded about it. Very, right. very sort of, you know, she's not totally comfortable with the idea of like the fact that I have a birth family who, you know, is part of my life now or whatever. So that doesn't make her feel 110% comfortable. And, you know, that makes me feel, you know, sort of guilty in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um and my other siblings really haven't spoken to me about it just because, you know, um, it's not important to right. the vast majority of them. And they just, you know, are like, OK, whatever. And, you know, my extended family, they were, you know, wanted to see pictures. They wanted a description of it. But, you know, from their perspective, nothing about me has really changed, you know, now that I've met my birth family. So it just doesn't come up as a topic of conversation at the dinner table. So, you know, largely it's normalized. And, you know, I don't really think that it's going to change anything in my immediate extended family. So, you know, I, I like the fact that uh, that's the case, you know, we'll see, if, we'll see if there's a, ever a chance where my, you know, family meets my birth family or whatever, that might be, you know, flipping crazy. So we'll see. <laughs> all right, man. Well, good luck with all that. Again, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing the rest of your story. All right. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks. All right, and that was uh, the finale, the final part uh, so far of my conversation with Jonathan Lebrecht. Thanks again to Jonathan for getting back in touch with me and uh, sharing the rest of uh, what's happened. Because you know what? This is a uh, continuum. This operates in continuum our lives. Uh, It's no final chapter. Everybody out there who wants to conduct a birth search or a search for their biological family, okay, that is not the be-all, end-all. 
if you happen to find out information and uh, get to reunite with them. That is not the uh, the end of the book, as it were. That is uh, the first part of an ongoing relationship, an ongoing story. And I hope that this uh, episode was enlightening for you in that manner uh, for any of you guys doing that. All right. So what else? What else? Uh, well, let's say, uh, oh, music for this episode and all episodes are thus far have been provided by the Bell at Needle Drop Records and a collective effort. And you can find them on SoundCloud. Both of them come from SoundCloud and a collective effort it, uh, was a group of artists from Korea who were uh, Korean adoptees. So that's cool. Uh, what else? Um, oh, that's me meditating, I guess, on, on what else I need to say because I haven't done this for three weeks. Oh, you can always uh, like my page on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash ADHD. You can follow me on Twitter if you do that kind of thing at ADHD, or send me an email at ADHD at gmail.com. That is ADHD. HD at gmail.com and uh, please get in touch with me if you would like to be on the show if you'd like to have a conversation with me recorded for the interwebs it'd be much appreciated the community at large would appreciate it if you shared your story I I think that I think that's a good thing especially if you're in the New York area we could do it in person you could meet me I have a couple people that are supposed to be getting in touch with me to share their story for you the listener uh, so today was a little bit of a shorter episode to kick things off, which is good. I like it. I like it uh, kind of warming up into 2017, into the new year. And I hope that you guys uh, kicked off the new year with a bang and that 2017 treats you well. All right. You guys have a great week. You guys have a great new year. And I will talk to you again very soon. Uh, and, and you will enjoy it. I hope. I hope. I don't know. We'll see how long I can keep this thing going. Who knows? All right, I'll uh, I'll catch you guys later. You guys have a great week and uh, enjoy the Golden Globes tonight. Go La La Land. My money's on La La Land. I loved it. You, you check it out if you like those kinds of things. All right, I'll get talk to you guys later. Peace out. So in somewhere you left me just one more time. I doubt that I could have. Find all feelings don't fit, and I heart this song was written.